Today's uh, scripture reading is from the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God, your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This is the word of God. Hi, good morning. Um, for those who may be new, uh, my name is Che, and uh, I'm one of the elders here. So um, while Pastor Rob is uh, in Namibia serving, so um, uh, the elders have a chance to uh, and privilege to preach uh, God's Word. So uh, let me just pray, and uh, we'll go right into God's Word. Father, we thank you. Um, we thank you that, um, especially as we talk on the topic of parenting, that you, you God, Lord, have adopted us uh, as your sons and daughters through the righteousness of your son, Jesus Christ. You've given us an example of how to be parents because you love us uh, sacrificially and you love us even when we are not lovable. We thank you and we pray that uh, as we uh, look into your word, especially from this book of Deuteronomy, I pray that you'll teach us, pray that your Holy Spirit will do the work of convicting our hearts, conforming us, to the image of your son, Jesus Christ, and renewing our, renewing our mind. I pray that your word will be in the forefront and I'll recede to the background, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is a um, second sermon in the, in the five-week series that we are doing during this uh, month of August on parenting. And so uh, I know some of you are parents and some of you are not parents. For those who are not parents, including the youth group students, this is not a time to, if you're, just because you're not parents, it's not a time to tune out. So either you are parents or you have parents. So the, what we will be studying together applies to all of us. And uh, especially, I, I guess I speak especially to the youth group and or to the singles that what we learn from God's word, you can also, this is something maybe you can hold your parents accountable um, as we uh, look into God's word. So let me re-read um, the passage that Chai just read for us, uh, and we'll dig into it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Last week, uh, Tim actually preached on the first couple of the, these verses. And we'll dwell, we'll review some of those verses again. And we'll dwell in particular on verse 7, which is our, God's instructions to us on how to teach. But before we look into that, before we start, uh, I, want to, um, I want to point to a couple of resources um, that I've actually taken a lot of material also from. Uh, Disciple Making Parent by Chap Battis. It's a fairly new book on parenting. And uh, another book by Paul David Tripp. And these are just excellent resources. So um, I, would, I would encourage you to, uh, especially for those who, of you who are parents, and this applies to whether you, whether you are parents of toddlers or, or teenagers or like us, adults. Uh, they are very helpful books. So uh, I would encourage you to look into those uh, resources. And I'll send um, later, um, sometime this week, we'll send out some of the links to, to the resource that I'll be making reference to. So um, let me start by asking perhaps a very obvious question. Um, what is our goal in parenting? Or maybe that's just too obvious. But is it to have well-behaved kids? Or is it to produce good citizens? Or is it to make sure that kids do well in school and go to a top college and land a very good money-making job? I mean, if so, and, then, and these are all good things, if, but if, if that's all it is, then are we any different than the rest of the world? Let's begin with a Wikipedia definition. Um, parenting, this is what Wikipedia says about parenting. Parenting or child-rearing 
is a process of promoting and supporting the physical and emotional, social, and intellectual development of a child from infancy to adulthood. And that's a good, that's actually a pretty good starting point. But what the Bible says about parenting is not less than that, but we also believe that um, it speaks to a very different purpose. So what is goal of parenting or purpose of parenting according to the scripture, according to the Bible? Tim actually uh, 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 referred to this last week as well, but let's go all the way back to Genesis. In the Genesis, God created Adam and Eve in his image. This is Genesis chapter 1. And commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. Why? God created men and women in his image. And he wants his image bearers to multiply. Because he wants more of his his image spread, spread throughout the world. But it does not stop when we bear the children. God gives... God gave the parents the responsibility as caretakers to raise them up in God's image. So again, to kind of the notion of, uh, that we, are, we were created in God's image, and as parents, we are to um, multiply and help our children bear God's image. So how does God expect us to do that? So just as God put Adam and Eve to be caretakers of Garden of Eden, he has put the parents as caretakers of our children. Now, when we are caretakers, and as some of you may be house-sitting or plant-sitting or dog-sitting for somebody, when we are caretakers, we don't own them. But our responsibility is to do what the owner has asked us to do, to follow their instructions. A caretaker does not do whatever he wants to do. His job is to follow the owner's instruction as faithfully as he can. So in the same way, we don't own our children. They are God's children, made in God's image. You see, if we own the children, then we would have every right to decide what we want for our children, and then we will measure our success and how well we accomplish that. But if they are not ours, and we are more like caretakers, then the measure of success is how faithful we are in following God's instruction. So successful parenting is not about achieving goals. Sorry. (laughs) It's not about achieving goals, which, by the way, we have no power to accomplish. Successful parenting... It's about being a faithful tool in the hands of God. As God alone is able to produce good things in our children. Let me just repeat that. Successful parenting is being a faithful tool in the hands of God as He alone is able to produce good things in our children. See, God is sovereign over everything, including how our children turn out but we are the means. We, the parents, are the tools in God's hands. So parenting is not first about what we want for our children or from our children, but about what God in wise plan has planned for our children. So our children are made in God's image just like we have been, but due to sin that came into the world, that image has been distorted. Even when they are, even the, from the time, of, time they are born, they are sinners. And I assume that for many of the young parents, you know that from when they are very young, you can recognize their sin. Our children are not innocent. They are sinners. So then in our parenting, we want to help our children to be transformed to bear the true image of Jesus Christ to reflect the character of Jesus. So in other words, parenting is a commission to do all we can so that our children would be gradually changed into the image of Jesus Christ. Or to put it simply, we want to disciple our children to follow Jesus. So that would be, in a way, kind of a simple, goal, a simple statement of our goal. 
to disciple our children so they become followers of Jesus Christ. And we cannot control the outcome. Only God can produce the outcome. Whether they become Christians or not is not in our power. But what God does, just salvation and how one grows as a Christian, what we call sanctification, are all works of God. But we are the means. So as Christians, we want our children to one day know Christ and to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And that's our chief desire. So that's a tall order. For those of us who are parents, let me start by saying that we are painfully aware that we are at best inadequate in discipling our children, probably all of us. But at the same time, I've been really encouraged over the last several years, you know, as we talk with a number of parents at our church, I've been encouraged to hear how many of the parents are actively teaching and discipling their children. And that's just really encouraging to hear as they are following God's command, the purpose of discipling or purpose of parenting. So as church and as parents in our, in our church body, we're all learning. We're making mistakes together. And we are depending on God together. So again, the goal of parenting, the purpose of parenting, is to make disciples of our children so they become followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus Christ. And they become image bearers of Jesus. So now that we define the purpose of godly, purpose of godly parenting, let's uh, look at the scripture again to see what does scripture say to us and how we do this. And if the goal is to disciple our children to be followers of Jesus, we have to teach them. And so we, we have to understand what is that we should be teaching. So this morning we want to look at what the Bible is saying as a central responsibility for the parents to teach so that our children will be transformed to the image of God. So let's look again at, the, at today's passage, in Deut- Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 6. Uh, and this is a passage that uh, Tim preached on. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Last week, uh, when Tim preached on these verses, one of the key points he was making is that parenting starts with parents. With how we follow Jesus Christ, how we are examples of serving serving our Savior, Jesus Christ. And verse 4 says, the Lord is one. Meaning that there's only one God that we should be following and worshiping. So we want our children to know that there's only one God and we are not to have any other God or any other thing that we worship or any other idols. And then verse 5 follows with, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. So we are to worship this one God with all our heart and soul and might. So only one God, no other idols, and then we are to worship this God with uh, all of our strength and all of our soul and might. So let's uh, kind of see what that means. How do we do this? How do we get to love someone? You don't just love someone academically. We can only love someone once we get to know that person. In the same way, we can love God with all of our heart and soul and mind only when we know, when we know Him, when we know God. So then we can restate this command as that we are to teach all, teach our children all of who God is, what He's like, what He has done, and what He's doing now in this world and in our lives. All of which is what the Bible is about. So we are to teach them that there is only one God, the God we are to worship, not anyone else and anything else. To more broadly speaking, we want our children to know the truth about God of the universe. And God has revealed himself through the scriptures. 
So we want to teach them the scriptures, the whole Bible. Because it's the scripture that help us distinguish good from evil. It's the scripture that tell us about our sins and convict us. It's the scripture that introduces us to God and train us to image him faithfully. And it's the scripture that tell us gospel story that Jesus, God's son, took the punishment for our sins. See, God is what we want for our children. So we teach his word, God's word. But the Bible, now this is a small Bible, but the Bible is a big book uh, with many pages. So where in the Bible should we start? Uh, Should we start with a few moral rules and principles? The Bible does teach us to be kind, gentle, loving, and do not lie. And these are all good things to teach. But the Bible is a lot more than just principles. In fact, the Bible is not about the rules at all. In Romans 3.20, it says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the, through the law comes knowledge of sin. So no one can be justified by following the rules. Even though rules are good, and they help us understand our sins, Bible's main storyline from Genesis to Revelation is about God's plan for salvation of mankind who failed to keep the rules. You see, the Bible really is about how a loving God created the world and man, but man rebelled and sinned. And so God sent his own son, Jesus, to take the punishment for our sins, So now, by trusting in Jesus, we can have our sins forgiven and live with him eternally. And that's the gospel. And that's the whole storyline of the Bible from the beginning to the end. So as parents, we want to teach them the Bible. But we want to teach them the whole storyline of the Bible, the gospel. So the goal of parenting to to make our children disciples of Jesus Christ, to be followers of Jesus Christ. And as in doing so, to do so, we want to teach them the Bible, what the, what the Bible says about God, in particular, what the gospel is. But let's go back, and who is responsible for teaching? So let's look at verse 7 again. It says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall teach them diligently to your children. The word you is pretty clear and doesn't need much explanation. Actually, in the New Testament, there are only two verses that really talk about parenting. And they're both here, Ephesians and Colossians. And they say, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then in Colossians, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. I think the scripture is talking a little bit about fathers because perhaps it's the fathers that need more encouragement. But it's clear, we can conclude that the scripture is saying that the responsibilities of teaching our children are the parents. Parents bear their primary responsibility. But let me ask, um, and you don't have to answer this, but ask the fathers, how are we doing in teaching our children who God is what he has done, what he's doing. You know, I do hope that for most of us, we can honestly say that we are making efforts, even though we are not always doing a very good job. But here's a warning. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is talking about physical food. And if such dire warning is for someone someone not providing material food, which is at best temporary, how worse would it be if we don't feed our children the spiritual food, which is for eternal? And Jesus said in John chapter 6, 35, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. So we need to feed our children the bread of life. 
which feed them for eternity. So let's examine why don't we do this very well. So let's admit that we are not, we don't do a very good job in general. And and I and I, as I said, and I'm encouraging many of you are making just sincere efforts to do this. So why don't we do this well when it's so explicit in the scripture that the parents are to teach our children about Christian faith? William Fowley, in his book Gospel Power Parenting, points out that there may be few false reasons why parents, especially the fathers, do not take this command so seriously. So let me go over a full false reason. Um, first, we false, falsely believe that parenting is primarily about behavior management. That we falsely believe that parenting is primarily about behavior management. See, as we raise our children from infants to young young adults, there are many things we have to teach and show them how to do things. And our children fail at many things that we try to teach. So we, try, so we tend to, or we try to manage their behavior, we tend to react to their behavior. So for example, a three-year-old gets into a fight with another child over a toy, and we interject and scold the child that he must share the toy. Or a young teenager comes home way past their agreed time. And so we ground him for the next two weeks. Or to prevent the bad behavior, some parents may use bribery and say something. If you behave at the restaurant, you will get an ice cream for dessert. Or some parents may use threat. If you do this one more time, you'll really get it. We could probably all kind of relate to some of these um, uh, anecdotes. See, our tendency as parents is to focus on the behavior. And so we set rules and then react and get upset when our children don't follow those rules. And yeah, we, we do need to teach our children good behavior. As that, and that is really part of being a good parent is. Good caretaker of our children. But simply correcting One's behavior is not enough. See, behavior is just a symptom. It's not a disease. So if we want to cure the soul, we don't simply treat the symptom. We have to treat the disease, which is from the heart. Proverbs 4 tells us, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And our text, Deuteronomy 6, tells us, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, not just on your lips, on your heart. Let me give a simple analogy that I'm borrowing from a sermon by author Ted Tripp, uh, who wrote a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. Let's say that you have, a, you have an apple tree in your backyard and it's producing all rotten and blighted tree, uh, blighted apples, I mean. So you decide to fix it by buying new apples from a store and you hang these apples on the tree with a string. What have you done? You have not changed the nature of the tree or even the apples that the tree is not supposed to bear. You're just putting on a show. So it is with the behavior of our children. When the children are behaving in a certain way, it's telling us something about their heart. So we need to address their hearts. And the good behavior will be the fruits. You see, when our children are misbehaving, it's annoying and even upsetting to us. And so our tendency is to react and do or say things that correct their behavior. And there will be many times where we have to do that, and that's, that's just a wise thing to do. But if that's all we do, we'll encourage our children to become Pharisee. Pharisee who tries to follow rules without the heart of love for God. And you have to remember, in the New Testament, more than any one group of people, 
Jesus repeatedly rebuked the Pharisees for their outward behavior while neglecting the heart. So we do not want to produce well-behaved Pharisees. But what, what author Christian Smith says describes as moralistic therapeutic deists. Moralistic therapeutic deists who knows that there is a God and God wants people to be good and nice and goal in life is to be happy and feel good about yourself and think that finally good people go to heaven when they die. Sadly, that is completely contrary to what the scripture says. That's completely contrary to the gospel. So we don't want to teach external behavior and ignore the heart. It is insufficient and even dangerous for their soul, dangerous for their soul, for us to merely teach our children good behavior or teach them to act just like Christians. See, God is not concerned with simply external behavior. He's after our hearts. So we must help our children understand the sin behind their behavior and also the hope that we have in Jesus who forgives us our sins. So we need to teach the scriptures, praying that it will permeate their hearts and confident that God's word and the Holy Spirit are effective and have the power to transform our children. So that's the first false belief, that behavior management is what we think all we need to do. Second false belief, we falsely believe that we can outsource this teaching to others, namely to church. Charles Spurgeon said, First, let us begin by emphatically declaring it is parents, fathers in particular, and not the church, who are given the primary responsibility for calling the next generation to hope in God. The church serves as a supplementary role, reinforcing the biblical nurture that is occurring in the home. Sunday schools and youth groups cannot replace the parents, not even camp impact. You know, Camp Impact had a tremendous effect uh, on many of our children, uh, students who were there for last uh, a week ago, uh, and, and it's been a tremendous blessing. But that's not what we can depend on, and we are thankful for how our children are affected by this wonderful preaching of the gospel. But now it's the parents' responsibility to continue to feed our children the bread of life. As a church, we are doing our best to provide gospel-centered teaching and activities in Europe during our Sunday schools and youth groups. And it is our prayer that our children will learn biblical truth and come to know the saving faith. But as much as we try, we have your children for only a few hours a week, one to three hours at max. You have them most of the week. Even for the couples who are both working, you have a lot more time with your children than the church does. So you have the most influence over your children, which is why the Bible makes it clear that primary role for teaching our children the Christian faith belongs to the parents, and church can supplement. We go to a third, third false belief. We falsely believe that we as parents lack the ability to teach. Now, I mean, I, can, I think that's maybe perhaps we can relate to that. See, after all, very few of us had a very formal training in, in the Bible. We may be able to help our children with algebra or geometry because all of us had that in, in high school. But the Bible... So we as parents have to grow in the knowledge of the Bible. And this is what Tim was preaching last week. We have to be the first one to study the Word and live it. God's Word must be on our hearts. And thankfully, there are many good resources that you can learn from. And we don't have to be experts to teach our children. We can learn together. We are all students. Books such as as the Jesus Storybook Bible that uh, Jamie mentioned earlier today, It's an excellent resource that teaches the Bible story from Old Testament to New Testament, and especially pointing out how every story is actually about Jesus Christ and the gospel. 
Another good resource is catechism, which our past generations have used to teach doctrine. And many of these catechisms have been updated. So new, uh, one called New City Catechism is an excellent resource for us to learn together and to teach our children. And for younger generation, for younger children, there's also a catechism for girls and boys. And here's a snippet. You can leave it there. So I want to share a, um, a personal testimony of, of what a catech- how impactful a catechism could be. Um, most of you know we have a granddaughter, Karis, who's uh, two and a half years old. And she was at a home a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and she asked Christine, and she calls Christine Nana, and she asked Nana something, and I don't know what the question was, and something that Christine didn't know. So Christine answered, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Karis immediately responds, but God knows. And that response pleasantly surprised us. And later we find out that her parents, James and Grace, have been teaching the catechism for girls and boys. So look at question 12. Does God know all things? Yes, nothing can be hidden from God. Our children have amazing ability to learn. Um, and we, we can help them learn. Even, and we can learn together. So lack of ability or knowledge cannot be our excuse. We can all learn together. So fourth, uh, false belief. Perhaps the reason that we don't really have much confidence, perhaps we we don't really teach well, because perhaps we don't have enough confidence in the message of the gospel. See, the more confidence we have in the message, the more we'll want to teach. A couple of months ago, I had a backache. I was lifting something, and I had, a, I had a backache. So, you know, the first, obviously, the most obvious person we turned to is Dr. Alex. So Alex pointed me to stretch exercise that were tremendously helpful. So when another person asked me about oh, what happens when you have a backache, I'll surely show him those same exercises because I have confidence in the message. So in the same way, we need to grow in confidence in the gospel, that the gospel has the power to change. Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is a part of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the, also to the Greek. Yes, it is God's work to change, but we are the instruments, we are the means. See, our children will not only learn from what they hear, but also what they see. So children are watching your example, and I'm speaking especially to the parents. Your life is teaching them either that the gospel message is beautiful or that the gospel doesn't mean much in our lives. See, what we are excited about reveals a living faith. How do we live our lives? Has the gospel changed how we live, how we make decisions? When failure comes, how do we respond? As a father studies the scriptures, is God important to him? Does he prioritize worshiping God on Sundays? I'm thankful to hear encouraging testimonies from a number of you in the church here, a number of the parents how they have discussed with their children about not being involved in certain sports activities on Sundays because they want to prioritize gathering together because gathering together on Sunday worship is important. And those type of discussions speak volumes to their children, what we value. So as our children hear the gospel and then see the gospel being lived out, the power of God will will impact their lives, impact their hearts. So we talked about goal of parenting. We talked about that we are, um, we are the, the parents are responsible. And how do we teach? So this is the, this is the, this, is, this action, last section will really be the application. Now, how do we teach, which is really the main passage 
uh, verse 6. So let's look again, verse 6. It says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. So they say, Teach diligently when we sit, when we walk, when you lie down, and when you rise. So this text gives us a, not necessarily rules, but gives us a good principle on how we should teach our children. So let me take each of these phrases. First, we do it diligently. To be diligent means to be steady, earnest, energetic in our efforts. It also means to act with speed or haste. Any other parents will agree that parenting is hard work and requires diligence to take care of even the basic needs of our children. But that's just the physical aspects of raising a child. Training their hearts will require as much diligence on our parts. So how do we train our children's hearts diligently? Deuteronomy 6-7 that we just read tells us that what tells us what it means to do. How, I mean, what it means to do, do this diligently. That is, when we sit, when we walk, when you, when you lie down, when you rise. In other words, we are to do this teaching all the time. So let's take each of those phrases one at a time and see practically how we can apply. So first, when we sit. What do you do when you, when you meet someone or family and you want to get to know them? You sit down together over a meal or coffee or you invite them over to your house to have a dinner together. It's an opportunity to do something more dedicated. So in parenting, this would be an opportunity for us, more regu- for us to spend more regular, dedicated time with our children. It doesn't have to be formal. So daily or weekly uh, family worship will fall into this category. And it's been really encouraging. Um, I know some of, many of the, a number of families have shared how different families at, at our church are making family worship a regular rhythm in their schedule. And that's a wonderful practice that I would encourage. And actually next week, Pastor Rob, when he comes back, will be preaching on family worship. And so without going, into much, deep, without going much deeper into this topic, I do want to share a personal testimony on this. As our children were growing up, I regret to say, and I wish we could have done it differently, that our family didn't do family worship regularly at our home. We probably did it maybe a couple of times a month. Uh, I'm not sure why we didn't. It's something we regret, and if we had to do it all over again, that's why we would have really made a regular rhythm. However, one thing that was a regular rhythm for us one family practice that I'm very thankful for is the family worship time when we go away together, when we go on vacation. Something that we have been doing regularly since our children were young. And I think I've shared this with uh, maybe some of the fa- uh, families. So when we are traveling o- away, each night after dinner, we have family Bible study together. And as our children got older, they took turns in leading the study. And we would, and on the way to the vacation, we would decide, okay, well, this, this week, well, let's read uh, James, or let's uh, memorize the uh, book of, first couple of uh, chapters of the book of Psalms. So then we would take turns and leading it. And this has been a, just a really, really just blessed time for us, something that Christine and I really look forward to each time we, we, uh, we go away together. Uh, so now, um, in the last few years, Christine and I have decided that... Uh, um, even though, even though our children are, are all grown up. So just uh, among the two of us, and when Julia is at home also, we would um, read the scripture together uh, when we're having dinners together. So typically when we sit down for dinner, we read a very short section uh, before we, um, we have dinner. And this has been a, just a really good practice and something that, that's been just really wonderful for our family. And there are many good resources for parents for us to use um, for, the, for this type of sit-down training. Um, as I mentioned earlier, um, one, one, one approach would be using catechism that you can, you can discuss and study with your, with your children as a family. 
Or you may just decide to read a section of the scripture or memorize a verse and just ask questions. And by asking questions, you know, what does this mean? Or, you know, where, what was the author trying to say? We're also helping our children to learn to study the scriptures on their own. So that's, uh, uh, that's when we sit. When we walk, Here we are teaching while we are walking or perhaps when we are driving or when we are playing. See, we're having conversations, not lectures. We're not preaching to them, but listening to them, responding to their questions, asking questions. We're talking about every moment aspects of teaching. For most of us, if you're parents, we're probably driving our children to piano lessons, soccer practice for many hours a week. And what a wonderful opportunity to discuss hard issues and what the Bible teaches. It could be a time to discuss this week's sermon together or something you are reading together or just something that the child is struggling with. I have a friend who used to be at New Hope uh, who now lives, um, lives in, uh, in Korea, in Seoul. When his daughter was younger, um, she used to take uh, violin lessons, um, and they, they used to drive about 20 minutes each way. And he said that these led to just wonderful conversations, and they were really the best times that he had to talk with his daughter about what Christianity is. But the daughter is, uh, is faithfully walking with Christ. Um, now, that's not a guarantee, but this is where we can be faithful using every moment that we have. And we can teach during whatever the day's activities may be, perhaps while they are playing or when we see our children misbehaving. These are all gospel teaching moments. So for example, let's say you have an eight-year-old and he's angry because his little league team just lost a baseball game. So it may be an opportunity for for us to take him aside and speak with him that he can ask God to give him a thankful heart, even though it's difficult. That Jesus showed grace even as he was dying on the cross. You see, children's misbehavior is an opportunity for us to explain to the children why we cannot keep God's laws and why we need Jesus and why we need God's forgiveness. So we can be thankful when our children misbehave because it's an opportunity for you to share the gospel. We don't want to overdo this, and it's not always easy to do because we may not be in the habit of doing this. But we want God's word to saturate our day. But in a non-domineering, not a non-domineering or suffocating way, we want it to do it in a graceful, joyful way. We can bring just one piece of scripture to relate to the situation in life. So when you sit down, when you walk, and when you lie down, and this is a time to read a Bible story or to pray together, perhaps discussing about anything they need to confess or repent of, or discuss how Jesus has died, or remind them how Jesus has died on the cross to forgive us our sins as we repent. It's time to reflect and give thanks for what God has done during the day or reflecting on the goodness of God. And when you rise, so when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise, and this may be the most rushed times for us as you are trying to get the children to wake up and get them to school. So it is also time, but it is also time when we can seek the Lord together to ask for help, to trust God for whatever is ahead of them, during the day. And perhaps this involves just simply praying together during breakfast or reciting a scripture that you have been memorizing together. Um, one, one couple shared, and it was really an encouraging testimony, that um, how the couple, uh, when they get up, they read the scripture and pray together. And then the mother then reads and prays with, us, with the children before they go up to, go up to uh, school. Yeah, so a lot of these things just does not take a lot of time. Hope you see a pattern. Every moment of day is a teaching moment for us. 
We can either be faithful in using these moments to teach and help shape our children's hearts, or we can just let their sinful hearts and the sinful world shape their hearts. This is why diligently discipling our children is so important. But it's important to note that we can't just pour out our teaching so that our children will get overwhelmed and get tired of. J.C. Ryle said wisely regarding teaching our children. He says, Their understandings are like narrow neck vessels. We must pour in the wine of knowledge gradually, or much of it, much of it will be spilled and lost. So a few nuggets here and there will be more meaningful than a constant barrage of lectures. Otherwise, the children will just tune them out and we would have tarnished the beauty of the gospel. And we can also learn from how Jesus taught his disciples. Jesus used a variety of methods. At times, he lectured, such as the Sermon on the Mount. He told stories. He used objects in real life to make a, make a spiritual point. And many times, he asked questions. He took advantage of teachable moment, every teachable moment everywhere and anywhere. And so we teach by talking with the children about the scriptures, about the gospel, and apply them in all kinds of places, in all types of circumstances, wherever life, life takes us. But the last important element that we, we do in teaching our children diligently We pray. We want to be diligent in praying for our children. Even as as we train our children to, even as we try to train our children's hearts and teach them to know the scriptures, we are desperately praying for the Holy Spirit to work on their hearts. Because only only the Holy Spirit can give them a new heart to delight in Jesus. By earnestly and diligently praying, we are telling God that we need His power, His help in raising our children, going to give them a new heart. So here's a couple of scriptures that's a really good prayer for us. And um, the italics is my modification. Psalm 51, 10. Create in our children, God, a clean heart and renew a right spirit in them. In Colossians 1, 9 and 10. As the Apostle Paul prayed for his spiritual children in the city of Colossae, he prayed, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to them, bearing fruit in every good work, and increase in the knowledge of God. We pray. We pray for our children. We desperately want to depend and lean on God so that their hearts be transformed, their hearts be shaped in the image of Jesus Christ. Let me conclude. How well are we doing in training our children? If we are being honest, we'll all be saying that we are not very good at it. We fail daily. And Kristen and I, we have adult children, and we fail frequently. So my goal this morning is for us to see the importance and seriousness of this calling for the sake of our children and for the sake of God's kingdom. God has given us the responsibility. And just as in the parable of the talents, God has entrusted his children to our care, to nurture physically, and to disciple their hearts, to help them to know Jesus and to be conformed to his image. And we are to do this diligently. Not like the servant who received one talent and decided to hide it underground till the mass returned. We want our children to realize from very early on that they are sinners and help them to see the ugliness of sin and that Jesus has died for their sins. And when we fail, when we fail to respond to our children well, we also ask our children for forgiveness. We let them know that we also are sinners. 
who need forgiveness and who need a Savior. And we run to God for forgiveness and seek His help. And the Lord is merciful and gracious. You see, when we fail, it's another gospel teaching moment for our hearts and for our children. So through everyday teaching moments and through our life examples, we want our children to know and believe the main storyline of the Bible that is the gospel. And gospel can be summarized in these four words. God, man, Christ, and response. God, man, Christ, and response. It is about how a loving God created the world and man But man rebelled and sinned. And God sent his own son, his own son, Jesus, to take the punishment for our sins. So now we respond by trusting in him, in Jesus. And we can have our sins forgiven and live eternally with him. God, man, Jesus, and response. And that's the gospel. And that's what begins our Christian life. And that's what shapes our Christian life. And that's what should shape our parenting. Parenting is not about creating nice, well-behaved children. We want to reach their hearts, to help them know their creator, see their sinfulness, recognize their need for Savior, Jesus. So I do hope that the Holy Spirit is using this morning's message to help us evaluate how the gospel affects and change how we live and how, do, how we do our parenting. Let me pray uh, for us. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your... Thank you for being our Father, and thank you for sending your Son as our Savior. We pray that um, um, as, we, as we parent, or as we just in any relationship, we pray that the gospel will shape what we say, what we do, how we how we raise our children, how we live our lives, how we live as couples and for those of us who are married, or just how, how we just live and, and do in everything, Lord. We thank you for giving us your son, Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen.